Welcome, everybody. The Monday morning edition of Unexpected Points, America's favorite sports analytical football podcast. Everyone loves the analytics. Um, What kind of week do we have this week? Well, maybe we'll come at it from a little bit of an analytical angle first. We can say this was a regression kind of week. You know, everyone eventually, on a long enough timeline, everyone regresses to their true level of play. And there may have been some, you know, over-regression, if there's such a word, for some teams who, you know, spoiler alert, Vikings, who are at the top of (laughs) different power rankings, power rankings that are slaves to win-loss records. Um, We'll talk about that. It also happened for some other teams, but there's some interesting context between uh, some of the other teams that have had some good records, people have always upset about the nerds not having them ranked high enough despite their records. Well, we had a little bit of a comeback this week. Uh, if we wanted to be a little bit less judicial about it, uh, we could call it a fraud detection week. Now, fraud is a pretty you know, bold word, inflammatory type of word. Uh, I don't think any of the teams that we're talking about here who are worse than their records are actual frauds in that sort of way. But, you know, the Vikings perhaps are not as good as the 8-1 record that they had coming into this week. But before we get to them, before we get to the early action, the early slate, the late slate on Sunday, let's start with Sunday night football with a team that, forget fraud detection, uh, a team that is proving itself to perhaps be the best team in the NFL Shocking to think that coming into the season, some people had Josh Allen as potentially being the best quarterback in the NFL. Some people, a lot of people had the Buffalo Bills, including myself, had the Buffalo Bills as being the best team in the NFL most of the season. Hey, maybe things are starting to shift a little bit here, a changing tide where everything is aligning now for the Kansas City Chiefs who take care of business on the road. I put the road in quotes here because there's a lot of Chiefs fans there in L.A. against the Los Angeles Chargers. One timeout left, 37 seconds. Watson, the motion there. Kelsey alone on the right. Coming across to the left. On the run, Kelsey. Kelsey, touchdown! The ha- yes, Travis Kelsey scores again. A little bit of chatter at the end of this game, I think even from our former uh, head of research and development here, Eric Eager, noted Vikings fan who pretends to be a more of a Chiefs fan, pretends to have disavowed the Vikings, um, saying that Travis Kelsey, I believe he said, is the greatest of all time. Nah, I- I'm still not going there. It's a little bit tough. He's not going to have the counting stats for sure because I don't know if people remember, but I believe he had a micro fracture injury coming into the NFL. Um, or after a season in the NFL. So it took him a while to get going. I mean, he's basically the same age as Gronk right now. He's a little bit younger than Gronk, but he's a similar age to Gronk right now. So it is extremely impressive that he continues to do what he's doing here. But, you know, if you want to like make it very specific to the best offensive tight end of all time, because I think Gronk was obviously a much better blocker, uh, maybe. But even then, I think Gronk brought something with his down the field ability, which is pretty tough. To, to figure out. And I know it sounds apocryphal since Tom Brady's the GOAT, but I do think in some ways you could say uh, Travis Kelsey's had a better situation being around Patrick Mahomes these years. 
um, and the high pass rates, the incredible talent there that he's had than even Gronk had with um, the Patriots. Maybe injuries. You could also lean towards Gronk, but obviously fantastic game for Gronk, though. I don't want to get too much into the, the GOAT sort of discussions there. But everyone's a prisoner of the moment, so I think we can appreciate Kelsey without having to automatically crown him as number being being number one now. But what was most interesting about this, and I'm going to get to the number of the game first before I get to the particulars, the adjusted score, all that sort of stuff there. I thought most interesting about this game uh, is hinted at from the number of the game here, and that's 3.1. So that is the drop back rate over expectation for the Chiefs in this game. This is the lowest in any game this year. So 9.5% over expectation is the second lowest. So way, way lower than that. Now, this number is calculated by looking at down, distance, score differential, field position, figuring out what you would expect as far as how often a team would drop back to pass versus run the ball. And then you compare it to that expectation, what they actually do over the course of the game. Now, the Chiefs, for as much as we like to harp on you know, clock management issues with Andy Reid, fourth down issues with Andy Reid, one of them came up in this game, uh, although, although they still win. Uh, what they are consistently good at from a nerd perspective is leaning into the passing game when you have someone like Patrick Mahomes. But in this game, they didn't lean into it nearly as much as they normally do. Yes, Patrick Mahomes dropped back to pass 38 times. So that's not nothing. That's significant. He had 34 pass attempts in this game. But the Chiefs running backs also had 23 rushing attempts in this game. And that was a big one. They were rushing the ball extremely well in this game. Also, if you look at the the overall numbers for them, 23 carries for 140 yards for their running backs, 15 for 107 for Isaiah Pacheco in particular. So big numbers for them. And that is an unusual thing for this offense. Now let's get to Kelsey also here. You know, they did have the passing offense too. They didn't have Juju Smith-Schuster. Didn't matter. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got injured a little bit earlier. Didn't matter. Didn't have McCole Hardman. Didn't matter. Uh, Kelsey comes away with six catches for 115 yards and three touchdowns. Justin Watson with three catches for 67 yards. Sky Moore, who, again, you just put these guys in, and then Patrick Mahomes is able to produce five catches for 63 yards. Jody Fortson, two catches for 51 yards. And then even MVS, who would have been like a main option, you'd, you'd assume in this scenario, only one catch for 18 yards. Kadarius Toney. Shock, shock alert here. Of course, I don't want to like make fun of people for, for being injured, but I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves with Kadarius Tony because I'm not sure he's even going to be an every snap player. And if he did play one target in this game, but then left due to injury. Okay, let's get the particulars for this game overall. Kansas City was a five and a half point favorite, so they do not cover in this one. They win 30 to 27. The adjusted score 28 27, Kansas City. So pretty close. I was a little bit surprised by this, but the reason that that's the case is that. The Chargers had a higher success rate offensively than the Chiefs in this one. 54% success rate to 52% success rate, uh, which are both, you know, 90th type of uh, percentile type of outcomes in this one. But the Chiefs were driving more EPA per play, especially on late downs. I mean, they were converting some insane third downs on this one. They had a 60% success rate on third down, third and fourth down. I actually they never went for fourth down. So just third down. They had um, they averaged 1.2 expected points per drop back on third down. They were converting third and 17s, third and sevens, third and eights. Now it's something that they do regularly, but they did it even in a higher 
percentage in proportion than you would expect in this game. And the Chargers are just not being that explosive offensively, which is a little bit weird to say after having a 50-yard catch to Joshua Palmer on the first drive, having a long catch to Keenan Allen later in the game. But just generally, they were more eking out smaller gains, barely any long passes down the field in the second half for Herbert before that Keenan Allen pass. And just offensively, high success rate, lower explosion continues to be a problem for them. And of course, Mike Williams provides some of those explosive plays, and he was out in this one, so that didn't help. Uh, Joshua Palmer did step in, though. So Palmer's the story here. I was becoming pretty skeptical on whether or not he could be a thing since he had been given opportunities in the past without Allen, without Mike Williams, and hadn't really done that much. So he had the 50-yard touchdown. He also had eight, another seven catches for up 56 yards in addition to that and two touchdowns, and another touchdown. So big, big game for him. Um, Austin Eckler, 83 yards rushing and a touchdown. So they ran the ball okay, Uh, I would say. They had, you know, 30 rush attempts, but not an extreme amount there. Both quarterbacks performed fairly well. Uh, Chiefs get the ball last. Chiefs come away with the win. That's just the way it goes in this one. Uh, One other thing to point out here is that the Chiefs got a lot of pressure on Herbert in this one. Now, Herbert is has the lowest sack rate in the NFL going into this game. He had the lowest, going into this week, he had the lowest sack rate in the NFL. So that's the percentage of sacks by how often you're dropping back to pass. And in this game, five sacks, he was under pressure in what I call quick pressures, anything that comes faster than 2.5 seconds, which are extremely important for this one, 30% quick pressure rate, which is a really, really high rate in this game. Uh, Chris Jones in particular came to play. He had a sack, two hits, three hurries, six total pressures in this one. So Herbert was dealing with that. The pressure that Herbert's faces combined with Eckler being a, you know, a, a highly targeted sort of guy in that offense combined with Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer and Mike Williams, not necessarily being deep threats that always brings down the a dot. But one of the reasons that their a dot is low is Herbert is really, really good at getting rid of the ball and not taking sacks, five sacks for 30 yards in this game. Worst game of the season for him as far as that is concerned. You know, kudos to the Chiefs, though, to be able to get that sort of pressure on a guy who normally does not take a lot of pressure. Uh, What else we talk about in this particular game? I mean, I mentioned the rushing here. I think we have a full takeover here for Pacheco, so that makes sense for the Chiefs. Hopefully they don't lean into the rush too much going forward, but it did work fairly well for them in this game. Yet, then again, you know, Patrick Mahomes is just (laughs) converting third and 17, so who really cares? Um... One thing I'll mention here, there was a back and forth of cowardly, cowardly calls here on fourth down, which, you know, Staley, I get their offense is not working that well necessarily. Their short yardage offense is not working that well, but man, what happened? What happened to our, to our Prince, the Prince who was promised Brandon Staley and his fourth down conversions, he didn't end up going for it. I mean, there was a back-to-back sequence here, which we expect the sort of stuff from Andy Reid. So it was 13 to 20. So the Kansas City's down. They're down by a touchdown. There was 625 left in the third quarter, fourth and two at the 11-yard line. And Andy chooses to go ahead and kick the old field goal. Now, the win probability in this game could have been about 3% win probability game if they went for it. Of course, baked into this is a very high conversion probability based upon the fact that it's the Chiefs offense in this one. Maybe it wasn't even high enough, though. You could might even go higher because it's making an adjustment for them being a favored team, things like that. But you could probably even go a little bit higher on this one. But that's stuff that Andy Reid does. 
Andy Reid is like, I knew that he wasn't going to go for in that situation. And they, they didn't end up getting hurt in the end because of how well Mahomes plays. They got the ball last. Um, well, they didn't get the ball last, but they got the ball close enough to the end where the Chargers didn't have enough time to score on the other side. But again, that could have been a crucial sort of play that didn't come through if it didn't, if it didn't happen. And then even worse, in my opinion, on the other side, then after Kansas City kicks the field goal, so they're down by four points, they kick off, the Chargers get it. The Chargers are stopped fourth in inches on their own 34-yard line, up by four points against Kansas City with about eh, about 20 minutes of game time left to play. That's just not enough. You can't punt away in that circumstance. Up four points and say, hey, we're up by four points. We're on our own side of the field. Uh, of course, Kansas City marches down and scores a touchdown after that punt also. And... This one was more like a 4 5% win probability that was passed up by not going for it there. It might have been even higher because of the fact that it was fourth in inches. And I know Chargers having trouble running the ball, all that sort of stuff. You got to go for it. Fourth in inches on your own 34. Keep the ball. Instead, you punt it away. And then shortly thereafter, you're looking up after that punt and Kansas City scores a touchdown and they've taken the lead. Um. You know, it was, it was like they punted it pretty far, uh, I think. It was down where I think they got it on their own 14-yard line. Kansas City got it on its own 14-yard line. But still, 10 plays later, boom, touchdown. They are now – they now have the lead. And then you had back-to-back fumbles after that. You had the Keenan Allen fumble. And then um, – who was it on the Chiefs who fumbled? For some reason, I'm having a little bit of a brain freeze right here. Um Oh, McKinnon, right. And then Jarek McKinnon fumbled, so they gave it up back and forth. So there was nothing too out of the ordinary with those sorts of plays, but the fumble luck was about the same on each side. But again, Staley, what's going on here? Like, that's what you should be asked about. This is a critical, critical, critical time in the game. Fourth and inches at your own 34. You got to go for it in that circumstance. Um, Keep the Chiefs. You take that one possession away from the Chiefs. You win the game, potentially, in this one. It's really that simple. Uh, okay, what's going on as far as playoff odds, Super Bowl odds, all that sort of stuff? Kansas City maintains top of the stack here as far as their Super Bowl odds up to about 30%. And then the Chargers, what's weird is they would have won this game. They could have been tied record-wise. Actually, no, if they would have won last week and this week against the 49ers and then the Chiefs, they could have been tied with the Chiefs record-wise. Instead, they're down to 5-5 five and five and 32% chance to make the playoffs. They don't have the hardest schedule. Going forward, they have a top 10 easiest sort of schedule going forward, but they're going to need to pile up some victories in order to surpass a lot of other teams here because you got the Bills, you got the Dolphins, you got the Jets who are still in the mix. Um, obviously, you got Kansas City, you got uh, the Bengals who were looking good, the Ravens. You got so many teams in the mix here for those wild card spots, those three wild card spots that the Chargers, well, I think they played their one of their best games of the season. Um, and it's really tough for them. They've had these two games against Kansas City. I think they were the better game the first time they played. I think they were close to being equal. Maybe not quite equal, but close to being equal this game. To come away with two L's is really unfortunate for them going forward. All right. Now let's get to the fraudulence. Let's get the fraud detection. Get your fraud detection meter out because we are going to go to Minnesota where the Dallas Cowboys come in and stomp all over the Vikings. That's against Zach Martin. Good luck. One deep. Pollard has the catch. 
and no one will touch him again. Touchdown, Dallas. This starts, I mean, it's a perfect throw by Dak. Yes, yes, perfect throw by Dak Prescott. An extremely long touchdown there, 60-plus yard touchdown. 7.2 expected points added because it was a third and 12 sort of play for Tony Pollard. And that closed the door. That closed the door. That made it 30-3 to Dallas in the third quarter, and it was basically over at that point. And the Dallas offense was humming. So we definitely want to talk about that. Though, for me, if I'm going to go to the number of the game, kind of the theme of the game on this one, I'm going to go to the Dallas defense. And 1.8 is the number of the game here. That's the yards per drop back for Kirk Cousins. So every single time he went back to pass, you look at the passing yards, you look at the scramble yards, you look at the uh, sack yards, you net those out. 1.8 yards per drop back here. 105 passing yards, and then he lost 49 yards on sacks in this game. Mm. Not good. Not good at all. Secondary, though, number of the game, I'll say is Tony Pollard kind of taken over there in the backfield. They're still using Zeke on those short yarded stuff, but man, is this guy electric? I mean, that touchdown that he scored there where of course he takes the, um, the wheel route pass and takes it all the way in for a touchdown on a third down play. Again, biggest play of the game, 7.2 EPA added huge, huge there. Uh, that's a big play. The earlier touchdown that he scores on another kind of swing pass on the outside. He just gets by guys like Patrick Peterson so quickly. And which, like, if you don't quite have the explosion to get by that last defender and then take it into the end zone, it's a play that ends up being a five-yard play or ends up being a longer uh, touchdown on there. And that's what Pollard is bringing to this offense. 80 rushing yards, 109 receiving yards, and he only had 21 total targets and rushes on this one. So it's not like he's being spammed with the ball. You know, six targets, that's it, receiving. Gets 109 receiving yards on six targets. Uh, He accounted for 190 of their 450 total yards in this game for Tony Pollard. Again, not being used like a workhorse sort of guy. Uh, The other number that I'll point to in this one, one more number of the game before I get into the particulars. Another number I'll point to is just one of 11 on third down for the Vikings. A lot of pressure. 50% of the time, Cousins was taking pressure, and that led to not only like their inefficiency on a play-by-play basis, but their inability to score period was just the fact that they couldn't convert third downs. And, you know, maybe they get a couple more of those in some other circumstances, but Cousins kind of went to a shell a little bit on some of these third downs also. All right, let's get to the particulars. Dallas was a two-point favorite, a 48 and a half total on this one. Actually came close to getting the total, despite no help from the Vikings offense here. 40 to three for the Cowboys, adjusted score. 30 to nine Dallas. They Dallas did have some explosive plays that lowers their adjusted score a bit there because they aren't the most stable and, you know, nine points for the Vikings, a little bit better than their actual score, but not that much better in this game. It was just bad all around the two for the Vikings. They couldn't run the ball. 18% success rate, trying to run the ball, 32% success rate, trying to pass the ball. Cousins lost about half an expected point per drop back. Just ugly, ugly, ugly. Huge numbers from Dak Prescott in this game, though. Uh, 0.7 expected points added per play, best of the week. Uh, 16% completions over expectation. He had a QBR in this game. That's the ESPN's proprietary EPA-based metric in the 90s, so the 93rd percentile type of QBR in this game. 
Is there much else to talk about here? Um, Justin Jefferson, only 33 yards. So there's probably gonna be some talking going on after that, but it wasn't like there was a lot of stuff to go around for this offense. Longer term, I think maybe Christian Derisaw being out at left tackle, second concussion in a row here. He's out for Thanksgiving game against the Patriots. That's something to monitor. He's been one of the best graded tackles in the NFL here, having a huge sophomore leap uh, right now. And, you know, the Vikings are eight and two. Cowboys are seven and three. It's not, you know, you can probably just throw this game away for the Vikings. And it's just more of an issue of guys. We don't have to rate the Vikings as being the best team in the NFL, just because they had the best record in the NFL or one of the best records in the NFL and beat the bills. It's actually kind of interesting. Like the Vikings fan shift. I saw over the last week, I've actually been getting some comments in the YouTube videos for this podcast, for the fantasy podcast, where I felt like Vikings fans, despite the fact their record was pretty good, were, were still pretty reasonable about the prospects for the team. And last week is when the shift happened because, you know, I had the adjusted score being better for the Bills last week, even though they lost the game. And last week was in a, like a vibe shift, I would say, amongst some Vikings fans. We're like, hey, you finally got to give us a lot of credit. You finally got to tell us that we're an elite team, that look at our record sort of thing. Or you got to stop hating on us, basically. Uh, interpreting hate is just being like saying, hey, maybe this team isn't as good as some other people think. Well, that vibe shift, you know, kind of blew up this week. And we'll see how the vibe is out there in Vikings land, whether or not, you know, especially if they have a short week and things don't go so well next week, how, how teams are feeling. I mean, overall, though, Vikings are still the fourth highest team as far as their chances to go to the Super Bowl right now. 17%, 8% chance to win the Super Bowl, which again is fourth, still slightly higher than the Cowboys right now. They don't have the tiebreaker, but they are a game ahead of the Cowboys. So, you know, things are not things are not all bad. The Cowboys, do we anoint them as a team that we can believe in? I don't think so. Not quite yet here. I'm not really ready to anoint anyone other than I still like the Bills. I know people may question them. They didn't have the greatest outing against the Browns this week. But I still like the Bills. I still – and then Kansas City are at the top. And that, I would say they're in Tier 1. Tier 2, I'll say Philly at the top there. Dallas can be right after that. But then also, you know, maybe the Bengals sneak into that sort of tier also. And then maybe the Ravens sneak into that sort of tier a little bit lower down. And then that's probably it, though. For, for that type of tier. Uh, and, and then we have another tier drop down where we have a bunch of guys into the next tier. So I'll say Dallas is in the second tier, but I still think they're pretty clearly below the Kansas cities and Buffaloes of the world right now. All right, let's go to another team record. Didn't quite equal up to how well that they have been playing, or I should say the flip side, the how poorly they had been playing or mediocre that their play had been. Uh, that's the Giants who lose at home to the now streaking Detroit Lions. Uh, my man Ninja, uh, gamer, 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 uh, guy Ninja who loves the Detroit Lions. Ninja gets it. He, they are now on a huge winning streak here, and they come away with the W in New York, the first road victory they've had in a couple of years. Their offensive line, they got five guys to the right. Give it to Williams, looking for his third of the day, and he's got it for the touchdown. Three 
for Jamal Williams and a league-leading 12 on the year. Yes, Jamal Williams leading the NFL in touchdowns. Saw that one coming, of course. We all saw that one coming. Um, DeAndre Swift also getting a little involved in this game, so he's not being totally ignored in this one. But the Detroit Lions win. The Cowboys, I mean the Cowboys, the Giants lose. They fall to 7-3, and three, so still tied with the Cowboys record-wise. Again, but at 7-2, and two, they probably weren't quite as good as, as what that record was saying. But the, the positive side here, though, is I think they actually played better than the score in this game. The Giants played better than the score, and it's mostly because of the turnover stuff. Now, you could say, well, you got to protect the ball, so it's your fault. But they lost 16 expected points on turnovers. Two INTs, a fumble in this game. And the Lions, who are known to, you know, Jared Goff's known to turn the ball over. He didn't face much pressure in this game, so he was clean. Zero sacks, zero turnovers there. No negatives there. So while you penalize them, of course, for the fact that they had turnovers, that's a pretty massive number, losing 16 expected points. It doesn't make up all the difference here, but it does make up a lot of the difference because, According to my adjusted score, I know it was 31-18 was the actual score, but my adjusted score had the Giants as only being one point worse than the Lions because of the fact that they lost so much on those few plays in this game. And they were fairly successful outside of that, being able to move the ball. Daniel Jones had a higher EPA per play than Jared Goff in this game. The offense had about the same success rate as the Lions offense in this game. And, you know, Daniel Jones also had 50 yards rushing and a touchdown on seven carries. So that was part of it. So the offense was not bad, was not bad in this game at all. Um, But they just had those turnovers were absolute killers for them in the results. Injury front, Wandale Robinson I didn't watch this game, so I can't tell like how good he was. I mean, 100 yards on 13 targets is not fantastic, but still, nine catches, 100 yards in this game. Looks like he's injured, left on crutches, left the field on crutches. Long-term, definite long-term injury. We'll see what happens there because now we're talking about Darius Slayton, Richie James, Kenny Galladay getting back in the mix, Isaiah Hodgins. Not a lot. Lawrence Cager, not a lot going on there. Uh, it's going to be tough because they don't have uh, many options there for the Giants in their passing game. And looking at the playoffs now and the playoff odds for these teams, looks like the Giants, they suffer a little bit here. Uh, The Giants are down 20% in their playoff odds. So that is pretty big. They're down to 59% from 79% coming into this game. So this is a big, big loss for them because it makes it a little bit more difficult to win the division. We don't have them as having much of a chance at all to win the division now with Dallas tied with Dallas and having lost to Dallas already this year and Philly coming away with the victory. But you're also starting to get a little concerned for the Giants that there might be a way that they don't even squeak through as far as the wild card is concerned in the standings now because you have the Seahawks and the 49ers in the West who are fighting for spots there. You have the Cowboys, of course, they're going to fight for. Um, The Eagles are probably locked into the division, but we'll see there in the East. You go to the North, the Vikings are are there. No one else you really have to worry about. But even in the South, the Bucs are probably going to win. Falcons, I don't think anyone else is really going to come close there. So it's really going to be who is going to win the competition between the Cowboys 
the Giants, the Commanders, who are actually on their heels a little bit here. That's a little bit shocking there. So Cowboys, Giants, Commanders, and then let's say either the 49ers or the Seahawks. So you're going to have those four teams vying for three spots. And there are about half of the scenarios that we're looking at here where the Giants end up on the losing end as far as that's concerned because we have a higher team strength rating for someone like the 49ers uh, who right now have a worse optically have a worse record at five and four than the Giants, but should be able to make up that ground. Uh, Detroit, I don't know what to say about Detroit here. I guess they're kind of playing themselves out of a better draft pick. They're four and six now, but the Rams are three and seven. So, hey, they got that Rams draft pick. <laughs> so so the, maybe they could use that. Maybe that'll end up being the draft pick that they end up being able to take their quarterback of the future there. Uh, draft pick they got as part of the... I think that's part of Matthew Stafford trade, I'm pretty sure, right? Because they were two years out in advance. So they still have that draft pick that they can use going forward. Again, nothing to worry about substantially internally from the Giants, how good they are, but it really hurts their playoff chances in this one. All right, let's get to the other New York team. Another disappointing loss and kind of bad offense all around. And Bill Belichick loves nothing more than the special teams. And it came through for him at the end in this one. From the 16-yard line, Marcus Jones. Got a block from Schooler. Here he goes. He's going to try to beat the putter. He does. He's gone. And that is a touchdown. Yes, Marcus Jones for the game-winning touchdown punt return at the very end of the game. Barely any time left. Only a few seconds left in the game. Maybe you could say there was a block in the back there at the end. I'll give that to you. There's a block in the back. Uh, but even then, if they call that block on the back, then, you know, you move them back a little bit. It's not that. Like, they they still make. They could probably still make a field goal, I think, from there. Um, Nick Folk probably comes through, through for them for the field goal and the victory there. Uh, let's get to the number of the game because this was an ugly optically game, right? 10 to 3. There was 3-3 at that point. Imagine sitting through that whole thing. But the number of the game here is 0.1. That is the success rate percentile for the Jets offense in this game. If you look at over 4,000 offensive performances since the beginning of 2015 that I'm tracking as part of this, this was the sixth lowest success rate that we've had in any game. I saw another number here. I haven't verified uh, whether this is true or not. I probably should have verified if it's true or not. But they said the New York Jets averaged 2.7 inches per play in the second half. That was their average play. Every single time they snapped the ball, on average, they got uh, almost a full three inches down, down the field. Just an awful, awful, awful offensive performance for uh, the Jets. New England, three and a half point favorites at home in this one. Again, 10 through is the final score. I have it 16 6. I'm actually kind of surprised you even get six points for the Jets here in their adjusted score, but it's probably hard to get less points than that when you're doing regressions on uh, offensive performances here. Zach Wilson lost about 0.3 EPA per play. He was 22% under expectation in his completion percentage. Jets offense couldn't rush the ball either, losing about half a point every single time 
that they ran the ball to had basically nothing going on other than Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson had 26 rushing yards outside of that. Michael Carter, 19 yards on eight carries. James Robinson, 10 yards on seven carries. Ty Johnson, four yards on four carries. They could do absolutely nothing there on offense. And Zach Wilson, 44 net yards on 26 um, dropbacks, excluding scrambles. So 44, 26, you can do the math there. Less than two yards every single time he dropped back to pass. What was a little bit weird about this one is that the Patriots not being able to score, they were kind of having some bad luck a little bit in this one. I mean, whatever. You don't want to say too much about what's, you know, lucky or not. You make your own luck, all that sort of stuff. I get it. But the internals, at least offensively, were so much better for the Patriots in this one. They were averaging five yards a play versus 2.1 yards per play for the Jets. Mac Jones averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. Now he also took six sacks for 48 yards. So that didn't help. Um, Damian Harris, 8.1 yards per carry. Now Ramondre Steven, 1.7 yards per carry. So that didn't help. Um, but still, they were at least doing something offensively and just couldn't get any points. So this would have been a really, really painful loss for the Patriots if they would have lost this one. Uh, being that at least they were trying to do something offensively. I mean, they had a 38% success rate overall for their offense versus 22%. Again, one of the worst in recent memory for the Jets. Um, what do we say going forward for the Jets? I don't know, man. We talk, I talked with Steve Ruiz last week about Wilson. It's tough when the team is 6-4. and four. I don't think they're going to bench them. Of course, there was this thing after the game with him being asked whether or not he felt like they let down the defense, and he said no very quickly, whether he let down the defense or the offense let down the defense. He said no very quickly, and then people are going to say, oh, he should have taken responsibility. I mean, maybe that matters, I guess, but like, if you're not going to score at all, if you're not going to do anything offensively, if you're going to average 2.7 inches per play in the second half, it doesn't really matter what you say after the game. It matters what you do on the field. And I think that's always like this overhyped thing about this like locker room stuff. Well, who says what about who the feelings about this, the feelings about that you win. None of that stuff matters. You lose and something will matter. Okay. You're not going to have a kumbaya sort of situation in almost any organization when you're losing, unless you have no expectations as a team, right? If you're the Texans or if you're maybe even the Lions, because everyone loves Dan Campbell a little bit, unless you don't really have any realistic expectations as a fan base, there are going to be ill feelings and things are going to come out and things are going to happen. Wilson probably didn't help his cause with saying that he doesn't feel like he let down the defense, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Six and four now. So they're tied with the Patriots now at six and four. They lost both games to the Patriots. So the Patriots have the tiebreaker in that one, which will probably end up being pretty big going forward. Let's go ahead and look at the playoff odds down to 52% for the Jets. They lose 15% uh, playoff odds. That's the second worst loss of playoff probability this week. Giants being the worst. And then on the flip side, New England, the biggest gainer in playoff probability, up 16% to 50% right now to make the playoffs. So still slightly below the Jets, which I'm a little bit surprised. I think they just had the tougher schedule going forward is the problem here. We look at their schedule now. You have the Vikings, the Bills, the Cardinals, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the Bills again. So having to play the Bills twice, that's painful. 
Vikings in Minnesota on a short week. Eh, well, hopefully they can win that one on Thanksgiving. Cardinals, I mean, Kyler Murray will probably be healthy from there, and you're in Arizona. Not the worst. The Raiders, in, you know, in Las Vegas. Raiders are sneaky, not awful. And then the Bengals have been playing pretty well. So, and the Dolphins in thrown in there. So, yeah, Patriots got a little tough schedule going forward, and that's probably what brings their odds down a little bit lower than the Jets, even though I think internally they are a much better team right now. All right, let's go to Detroit, which is weird because Lions are not part of this ball game. The canceled snow situation in Buffalo causes the move to Detroit. And Buffalo looked like a team that was scurrying out underneath a pack of snow at the beginning of this game. Started off slow, but ended up coming away with the victory. Singletary, and he's going to walk it in for a touchdown. So the Browns can't convert on fourth and one, and the Bills go the other way. For Yes, the Browns can't convert on fourth and one. I'm sure we'll hear about that a lot, the analytics problems. I mean, I will say that Brissett is not coming through on his, conver- his conversions as much as you would have hoped for for this one. The running game generally, not so hot for the Browns in this one. They lost .7 EPA per play running the ball here. And I know maybe you say they didn't run it enough, but they were so, so bad. Uh, they Both times they tried to convert on late downs, on third and fourth down and short, they were not able to do so. They lost 2.4 EPA just on those just on those running plays, just on those running plays in this game. And that goes to, let's go to the more traditional sort of metric here for the Browns, 1.4 yards per carry for Nick Chubb in this game. Here we're saying you got to get the ball to Nick Chubb. You got to get the ball to Nick Chubb. Get the ball more than Nick Chubb. Well, if you can't pick up any yards, it's kind of hard to continue to feed him the ball. Uh, 164 running back rushing yards for the Bills. So Josh Allen was actually not a big part of the rushing game here, maybe protecting that elbow a little bit. His throws looked a little wonky early in this game. Josh Allen, only three carries for seven yards in this one. 164 rushing yards for the Bills in this game. Devin Singletary, who I highlighted there, 86 yards. James Cook, 86 yards. Uh, only 51 for the Browns. Kareem Hunt had 32 yards on five carries, so decently efficient there. But 19 yards on 14 carries for Nick Chubb. Not going to get it done. Uh, Jacoby Brissett played pretty well. He was under basically like no pressure, which was kind of weird in this game. The Bills front four that was somewhat vaunted after the first couple of weeks and the amount of pressure they were able to get without blitzing. Didn't get a lot of pressure on Brissett here. And I know he couldn't convert the... Uh, The fourth down, but he was passing the ball. He was slinging it around. I mean, 113 yards and two touchdowns to Amari Cooper, 61 yards and a touchdown for Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was was doing a good job there. Another good game from Brissett, and that's why it's frustrating from the Browns. And again, I'm going to bring up the Browns fans. You either be happy or – actually, you're not going to be happy. But you either laugh this off or not, but you have another adjusted score victory. Browns. I think you only have one or two losses according to the adjusted scores this year. Probably two because you've had some bad ones recently. So another adjusted score victory for the Browns here. They lose 31 to 23, but the adjusted score has them 28, 23 go Brownies. So it's tough though. When you figure Deshaun Watson's coming back now in two weeks in week 13 and a lot of victories, the Browns could have had this season based upon how well Jacoby Brissett was playing and just, you know, the defense, not very good. That that's part. That's a big part of the problem. Maybe the biggest part of the problem when we look at this and how much that falls on Stefanski or not. I mean, whatever. He makes the hire. He's you know the buck stops here. 
sort of situation for Stefanski. So I don't think you could play it off too much here, even though he is more of the offensive guy than the defensive guy there. And when they've had these great percent games, sometimes it hasn't aligned with the running game playing well, which happened this week. And they just couldn't come away with the victory because of that in this game. Uh, does it shut the door though on the Browns and their playoff chances? Let's go ahead and bring up the old playoff probabilities. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think we have it at a uh, 5% playoff probability down from about 10 going into this game. So they're done. So Buffalo 58% chance to win the division. So they go up about 9% there since they're, have the Miami Dolphins breathing down their back now or down their neck now. Um, Cleveland, well, what are we going to do here? I mean, you have a chance to win some games at the end of the season here, but I mean, how much is it really going to matter when now you are three and seven? How are you going to get back into the mix here? I don't know. Um, what do they have coming up? Oh, they've got the Bucks next week too at home though. So you got the Bucks, and then finally Deshaun Watson comes back. But even Watson, you know, he doesn't have an easy schedule. Yes, the Texans the first week. So that'll be a interesting one to say the least. But then you have the Bengals in Cincinnati. You got the Ravens at home, the Saints who are no walkover, the Commanders on the road, no walkover there. And then the Steelers, which who will always be looking to do something. We're looking to, you know, beat the Browns in the end of the season. I mean, it's basically no chance to make the playoffs anyway. If you win this Bucks game, maybe it opens up the window very, very, very slightly, but you, you kind of have to just win out at this point with the fact that there are other good teams in the AFC who will all be competing for that wild card spot. I don't think anything but 10 and seven is going to get you in. So can the Browns put together seven straight victories? I don't think so, um, but that's what they're going to have to do. All right, let's move on. One more game before we hit the commercial ad reads here. And let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe you could say they were almost a fraud detection, near fraud detection going on here. Uh, but they come away with a victory, especially being helped by the legs, as they always are, of Jalen Hurts. Hurts will run. Takes it in. Touchdown. Nothing in front of him except the end zone. And the Eagles are an extra point away from taking the lead. Yes, Jalen Hurts scores the winning touchdown at the end of the game. And it was an interesting one because it was a quarterback draw, but then he was able to just go straight up the middle. You figured that'd be something they would be expecting a little bit there, but he was able just to go straight, straight up the middle, third and goal at the seven two. So it was getting a little bit squirrely there because they were going to have to score a touchdown. They were down by six at that point. There's a minute 20 left in the game. It wasn't like they were going to have time to kick a field goal, get the ball back and then kick another field goal and tie the game. Hertz also converted a three yard fourth and two from the nine-yard line before that. So just coming up huge in those circumstances. And I know it's maybe not the most impressive thing when you're just looking at, you know, what can quarterbacks do? What can quarterbacks not do? Can they make certain throws or not? This and that. But hey, that helps you pull through and win ball games when you can convert those plays, even when your offense is struggling a bit. And they were definitely struggling a bit. I mean, they had a couple of fumbles, which were huge in this one, which really hurt them. Uh, only 5.1 yards per play versus 4.6 for the Colts. So all those things coming into play, coming away with the victory, being able to win these games is pretty big here. Uh, the number of the game, I'll say two 
And that's the number of play-action pass attempts for Matt Ryan on 32 total pass attempts. Not quite sure what's going on there. I haven't watched this one yet, so I'm going to want to dig into that further. But that's definitely something to look at. It's like, why are the Colts not using play-action? Maybe they don't feel like they can protect well enough, and that's not stopping the rush. And the fact that play-action passes take longer, you can't get the ball out. But I thought that was interesting, at the very least, is that they only had a 5% play-action rate here. When you have you know Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, Jonathan Taylor had 22 carries in this game, only 84 yards, but not using play-action at all really in this one uh, was something to, to note at least. Uh, let me see. Philly was a six and a half point favorite in this game. They win by one 17, 16, the adjusted score, 18, 12 Philly. So not an impressive game, but they came away with the victory probably doesn't help their standing. When we look at them vis-a-vis the bills and the chiefs who I didn't really have them in the same category before this also don't have the same category after this. And what do we say about the Colts in this one? They almost got this victory, (laughs) you know? I mean, obviously bringing back in Matt Ryan, he didn't play well. He was about flat as far as his expected points added, but the Eagles defense is pretty good. Um, A lot of short passes for the Colts, you know, low success rate in some circumstances, but they were able to have an okay offense in this one. Not good, but an okay offense in this one. So at least getting Matt Ryan back in kind of lowers the floor. I mean, it raises the floor a little bit for them. And I think that's helpful for the team. and gives them some chance to win. You know, Matt Saturday, that whole, that whole, I mean, not Matt Saturday, Jeff Saturday, the whole, that whole discussion is not really very interesting or even very relevant in this one. Let's go ahead, go straight to the playoffs here. So the Colts are down to 15% chance to make the playoffs now that they're down to four, six, and one. Again, it's just going to be a tight race there in the AFC. So that hurt them down 7% versus what they were going into this game. Although they were a pretty substantial underdog going into this one. And, you know, Philly's still they're guaranteed to make the playoffs. They This win does help them in the division. They're up to 75% chance to win the division from 70 with this victory. But the Dallas Cowboys, their strongest competition in the division, also won and won by a lot. So, they were not able to extend that any more than they would have liked to in this game. Not a whole lot else to say here. Eagles, handle business. Congratulations. All right, before we get to the rest of the Sunday slate, let's talk sponsors. And first, let's talk DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, everyone gets an earned up 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays plus new customers can bet five dollars on any nfl team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do go to DraftKings sportsbook app place a small i'm sorry place a same game parlay place a small one place a big one and combine multiple bets like which team will win player props point totals and more the more legs you add the bigger the boost the bigger your shot to win download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use code pff Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their bets, win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, Western and Southern sponsors the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investments and retirement solutions 
has you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Lastly, Manscaped is back. The holiday season. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. I don't know if I officially will. I mean, maybe, like under in my head, deep down in my head. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to bust that out at the dinner table, though. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like dessert with the help of Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming have blessed you. You've been blessed. With the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic, tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer. Uh, like, again, I don't know if this is going to pay off here. And gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate man's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins. Kind of sounds like more of a uh, Halloween reference, but okay. And uh, so there's no gobble. I think there should be some sort of gobble-gobble in here, I think. I don't know why, but I feel like that would be appropriate. And save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code UNEXPECTED. The Lawnmower 4.0. The Weed Whacker, Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, Deodorant, Toner, Boxer Briefs, everything's there. Performance Package 4.0, 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code UNEXPECTED. That's right, 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code UNEXPECTED. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Okay, we are done with that. Let's go ahead and move on to some of the, I'll be polite here, some of the maybe not as compelling games that we had uh, the rest of the way here. But, hey, all W's matter. And Justin Fields, unfortunately, for everyone who's on the Fields train, you know, again, not able to come away with, with a W. But I would say a good, a good performance for him. We're hoping that he's not injured, though. Um, but the Falcons come through again. Arthur Smith stuffs it in all the nerds' faces says we will run the ball constantly despite Marcus Mariota being actually okay in this game. Patterson who fumbled the last time he touched it. Oh yeah, Cord- uh, Cordell Patterson though is the story. Cordell Patterson has a seam. Patterson splits it. Goodbye. Cordell Patterson, the ninth time in his NFL career. A house call on a kick. Yes, Patterson takes it to the house after fumbling, as I mentioned earlier in this game. And overall, he was a little bit more involved in the running game, but not that much. If you look at the carries here, 10 carries for 52 yards for him. Marcus Mariota had 13 carries. So I guess they're letting Mariota just run the ball. They decided that's his better thing of of using him here because only 20 pass attempts for Mariota, but he did have 131 yards um, passing on that here but my number of the game i'm going to flip over i'm going to concentrate on fields a little bit more because that's probably what we're all interested in as far as the implications going forward in this one number of the game and we'll see again if this ends up being a longer term thing or not but 12 and that's the rushing yards for justin fields in the second half after having 73 rushing yards in the first half of this game so he was on pace for another one of these monster hundred and something yard rushing games you know he had 100 over 150 a couple different times already this season that slowed down, hit a bit of an injury. I think it was a hamstring injury. We'll monitor that going forward. If he's only getting 12 yards, though, four carries for 12 yards in any particular half, it's going to be tough to get offense going because the passing game still a little bit of a struggle, struggle session 
for Justin Fields here. 153 passing yards on 21 attempts. Not that bad. You know, it's 7.3 yards per attempt. But the sacks, again, four sacks, 25 yards. So you start to net those out. It's not looking so good. Not looking nearly as good for Justin Fields in this game. Plus, you know, they're just not getting the ball down the field to enough guys here. I mean, Darnell Mooney had a pick play where they get a touchdown to him, but it's 29 yards on four catches. Not so great. David Montgomery ends up being the highest receiving total here with 54 yards. You just like to see more for the passing game here. And sad, I mean, positive, but sad. Kyle Pitts leads Atlanta Falcons in receiving. That's the good news. The bad news, three receptions for 43 yards and five targets. That leads all three categories. You could lead a team with five targets, three catches, and 43 yards and be the leader, not even tied in any of those categories. And the clear leader when it comes to receiving yards. The next closest guy is 29 yards for Demir Bird. Uh, Arthur Smith, you owned us. You owned us once again, despite the fact that you're being fairly successful dropping back to pass. You refuse to do it. Uh, But you get the victory, so... Uh, kudos to you here. Atlanta, two and a half point favorites at home. 27-24, the final score. The adjusted score, 27-22 Atlanta. Not a lot to say here. Neither of these teams are going to the playoffs, I don't think. Oh, let, let's see. Actually, I should check in on Atlanta because I'm like, still in the mix somehow. Um, actually, 19% chance to make the playoffs. I guess I spoke a little too soon there because they are only one game behind the Bucks in the NFC South. All right, let's go ahead. Let's, let's p- pick up the pace here. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it going. Let's go to Pittsburgh and the Cincinnati Bengals win. Remember when Joe Mixon had Joe Mixon day the last time they put on offensive performance? This was a Samaj P. Ryan day. On this drive, neutralized the defensive front. P. Ryan, right side, five. Looking for the pylon. Did he get there? Touchdown. Let's go, Let's fucking go. Mom and Pop Burrow. They didn't get a chance are to celebrating. That one out. Let's make sure that he did get there. Let's see. They had a uh, they had a let's f and go there. I believe that was Joe Burrow who, who came over there. There got right in the mic. There, come on. Uh, I guess you wouldn't want it. It would sound kind of weird if you believed the whole thing. But uh, good job, Joe. Good job, Joe, getting in the mic there. And Samaje P. Ryan. Anyone who desperation started Samaje P. Ryan. Feeling really, really good right now because Joe Mixon, 20 carry, twenty yards on seven carries. Samaje Pirine, 30 yards on 11 carries. Okay, you know, not much better here. But Pirine, four targets, four catches, 52 yards, and three of those four targets, four touchdowns in this one. Boom. Fantasy goodness there. Uh, Joe Burrow, 355 yards passing. Only two sacks for nine yards. Four touchdowns. Did have a couple of picks that ended up hurting his numbers, but... You know, they weren't really his fault. Neither one of them we graded as a turnover-worthy play, and that comes into our number of the game here, 10.8. So that's the expected points that were lost on those two Joe Burrow interceptions that we did not grade as turnover-worthy plays. One of them was in a second time this season. I think someone said it was like a once-in-a-lifetime type of play for the second time just this season from, from T.J. Watt where he jumps up and just catches the ball. This one was really close to the line of scrimmage. I have no idea how he was able to react so quickly, take it in, get the interception there. And then another one where Burrow was, I think his arm was hit or it was tipped at the line of scrimmage. And then it ended up being an interception. So we didn't rate either of those as being turnover worthy plays, whatever you think about them. 
I mean, maybe throwing it right into TJ Watt's face is not the best strategy. Burrow does. I think he's second in the NFL with tip passes. So he's definitely a guy who isn't as cognizant maybe of of throwing around players as he should be. Um, But that's at least some context to think about the fact that it probably wasn't even as close as the final score here, which was 37 to 30 Cincinnati. Uh, They were three and a half point favorites in this game. So they end up getting the cover big score though. 67 total points in a game that only had a 39 total, 39 and a half total. Adjusted score is lower, though, because some of these big plays, 26 to 16, Cincinnati is the adjusted score. Um, Burrow, again, good, solid game there, as I mentioned. T. Higgins, 148 yards, nine receptions. That's big. He's able to step up there with Jamar Chase out. I think Chase had some cryptic tweets, which whatever that means. Uh, I was like one of these all praise to God sort of things or something. So I don't know if that meant that it, his, his, his rehab is going poorly or his rehab is going well, but hopefully he'll be back soon. Najee Harris actually had a decent game for once or for twice, maybe 90 yards, 20 carries, two touchdowns there. Another 26 yards receiving George Pickens had some big plays here, which probably highlight that only four catches on six targets, but 83 yards and a touchdown. And he got a pretty bad, like personal foul at the end he got kicked out of the game for on an onside kick kind of giving the business helmet to helmet sort of action to Tyler Boyd I believe so we'll see if the NFL has anything to say about that I don't think it's a suspension worthy but you never know what can happen here uh Kenny Pickett just kind of had a Kenny Pickett game he's dropping back to pass a lot 42 attempts in this game ran it a couple of times for 14 yards but all that dropping back only two sacks so that's not bad but all that dropping back and you're only getting 265 yards, 6.3 per attempt. Just, you know, it's like, okay, right? Whatever. That's what, that's what we're getting from Kenny Pickett. That's going to be the concern, though, going forward from him is, like, what are we going to expect other than middling sort of performances? Uh, I guess a pretty tough defense, so I don't want to get too hard on him, but I think we have to we have to start to worry about what we're going to look at for the Steelers. Three and seven, clearly out of the playoffs at this point. Bengals six and four after a tough start to the season, making a roaring comeback in the playoff odds. And in fact, they're up to 64% chance to make the playoffs. 13% jump right now. Puts them in better position than teams like the Jets and the Patriots. So good chance for them. I think they're a strong team. I think they are like in that, not a top five team, but maybe getting close to that that mix of that second tier. So we look at their schedule going forward. They go to the Titans. Not easy, but winnable. At home versus the Chiefs. It's a little rough. Against the Browns at home with Deshaun Watson. That'll be a little rough. At Buccaneers, at Patriots, at home versus the Bills, and at home versus the Ravens. Wow, they have a tough schedule. They have a really tough schedule. That has to be the toughest schedule. Let's look. That has to be the toughest schedule in the NFL going forward. Yes, it is. It's the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL after having the 13th easiest schedule in the NFL going into this one. But secure the victory, move on, move forward, keep on going. Go Bengals. Uh, I don't know if I was a fan, though. I like these all whites that they wear sometimes, but for some reason it did not did not go that. I, I, I wasn't into it in this uniform matchup. I think... There needs to be like more color on the other side, whereas the Steelers in the black, it doesn't quite work as well for me. So let, let's 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 get that fixed up going forward. All right, let's go to New Orleans with the floundering, sputtering 
um, face in the mud L.A. Rams coming to town. Another concussion for Stafford, who maybe shouldn't have been playing in this one. And they drop another loss with Andy Dalton. The Dalton Assance. Is it back on? Maybe. Um, making plays with this rookie, Chris Olave. Third down at nine. Speaking Dalton up. heaves this one downfield. It is caught and taken in by Olave for a Saints touchdown. 52 yards. Yes, a 52-yard touchdown to Chris Olave, over 100 yards receiving in the game. And I'm going to highlight Olave here a little bit. Since we don't have a lot to talk about playoff-wise with these teams, I mean, where is New Orleans now for their playoff odds? 10%. So we can talk about them a little bit. But Olave, an 84.9 receiving grade in this game, five catches, 102 yards. Four of those five catches went for first downs. And the reason I want to highlight Olave is he missed some time. He's averaging about 2.2 yards per route run, which leads all rookie receivers. It's a really, really strong number. He could just get bent on the field a little bit more this season. And with Brees Hall going down, with Kenneth Walker, I mean, we'll see what happens with Kenneth Walker. He had a bad game. Uh, They're coming on a bye this time, so we'll see them going forward. I think Kenneth Walker is still the leader now in Rookie of the Year odds, but Chris Olave is probably my guy that I would point to as being rookie of the year, just what he's been able to do so far this season. It's not like he's playing with great quarterbacks uh, with the Saints, but he's been able to produce and be a leader of that receiving group and be kind of a really reliable option when you need a big play on a first down. And his ability to run routes has been really outstanding so far this season. All right, particulars of the game, whoops, wrong one, is the Rams were two and a half point underdogs and Rollins was a favorite in this one 27 20 the saints win the adjusted score 25 18 to the saints again i mentioned stafford knocked out of this game again should he have been back or not that's probably a good question for um sean mcveigh you know the rams have been either depending upon your perspective it had you know the best sports science department keeping anyone from being injured these last seasons, or they gotten extremely lucky each of the last three seasons, having the fewest impactful injuries. Now we have Stafford going down again, another concussion here, and they've had a slew of other injuries along the offensive line in particular this season. Andy Dalton, 0.4 EPA per play, 15% completions over expectation. Doing his thing here. Uh, Stafford actually was having an okay game, 2-2 Atwell out of nowhere, one catch, 62 yards, a touchdown early in this game. I'd kind of been wondering where he'd been since he didn't play almost at all as, as a second-round rookie last season, had barely been playing this season, but desperation meant that they had to throw someone in there. Uh, so Stafford was doing okay. He was 11 of 18 for 159 yards and two touchdowns. He was having a strong game before, before he got injured there. Uh, Cam Akers back. Does it mean anything? I don't think so. Even for fantasy, 61 yards, 14 carries for him. Um, Alvin Kamara continues to struggle. At least he got his four catches for 47 yards here, but 42 yards on 12 carries, not doing much there. And I mentioned, you know, Andy Dalton, 10.4 yards per attempt. That will get it done. Uh, 10% chance to make the playoffs here for the Saints, who currently stand at... Four and seven. So they're not very good, but it's just the fact that the Bucks are five and five. So you got a chance to get back into it. All right, let's get to the next game here. And we're still, you know, at least we're talking about playoff teams here, but this was a slog to say the least when 
Baker Mayfield versus Lamar Jackson. Wasn't quite hyped up here when we're talking about a a bottom tier uh, Carolina team against a somewhat offensively struggling Baltimore Ravens, but they do come away with the victory, the Ravens. Let me signal. It's Jackson to the edge. Lamar Jackson into the end zone for a Ravens touchdown. Yes, Jackson finally, finally scores a touchdown in this one. The one touchdown of the game. And that brings me to uh, the number of the game here. For anyone who was watching this, you know, apologies to anyone who, who sat through and watched this because it started with eight straight drives without a score. They finally get a field goal at the end of the first half. Then you have another field goal and eventually a touchdown. But other than that, just no offensive anything in this one. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Baltimore was a 12 and a half point favorite. So they almost covered <laughs> they scored 13 points and they almost covered that shows you what type of game we're talking about here. 13, three Ravens, 19, nine, my adjusted score. I guess you you don't want to just throw away any result here because the Ravens had an okay success rate at 47% success rate, but their EPA per play was bad. The interception, which hurt for them. Uh, Lamar Jackson only averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. They threw it a ton, actually. 33 uh, passing attempts for Lamar Jackson. He also had a few scrambles to add to the mix there. They weren't really running it well, but it didn't really matter because Carolina got nothing going on here. Two two picks for Baker Mayfield. De- uh, Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard had 15 carries for 24 yards. Anything else to talk about here? Demarcus Robinson, 128 yards receiving. Did anyone desperation start him? I don't know. Devin Duvernay was probably the desperation start there in fantasy, and he had one catch for three yards. Terrace Marshall. Some people may have been desperation starting him after a little bit of a streak there. Three catches for 76 yards, but, man, so, so bad. So, so bad. Offensively for the Panthers, just not not good at all. Again, not a lot to talk about. Not a lot to talk about in this game, so we'll just go immediately into the playoff ramifications. Well, I guess the first pick ramifications, maybe. For the Panthers at three and eight, the Bears are also three and eight right now. The Rams, believe it or not, are three and seven. But the Texans are going to be hard to catch at one eight and one. Um, Steelers, Browns, Raiders, and Broncos also all at three and seven. So there's kind of an interesting little mix. A little uh, Jaguars three and seven. It's in the mix for the number two pick. So I don't know. I'm not following college football that much but you seems like there might have been like a couple of quarterbacks who could go one two in this type of draft for how they were being viewed at least a few months ago so that'll be an interesting pick to see who gets that number two pick because it could be a team like the Jags who wouldn't use it on a quarterback could be one of these other teams who would use it on a quarterback but if the Jags don't use it maybe they could trade out for it for a bit the Browns if they get it obviously they're not gonna they would trade out for it but I don't think they're gonna get it with Watson coming back and then winning games but the fact you have one two three four four five, six, seven, eight teams right now with three wins. So you got the Texans with one win, and you have all those different teams with three wins who are all in the mix for getting that number two overall pick. Uh, Ravens now stand, where are they in the division? They're on top, seven and three over the Bengals who are six and four. So an ugly win still count. So they get the win there. 93% chance to make the playoffs to looking pretty good there. Uh, 80% chance to win the division. I'm actually a little bit surprised it's that high, but I think it's just because, again, we mentioned how tough the Bengals schedule is going forward. The Ravens have the Jaguars, 
the Broncos, the Steelers, the Browns, the Falcons, the Steelers, and the Bengals to end. So they have a much, much easier schedule. Not an easy schedule, but not anything like the Bengals having the most difficult schedule in the NFL. All right. What else do we got to talk about? Oh, let's talk about the Raiders and the Broncos. It ends in overtime with the connection, the Fresno State connection. Or the, is it Fresno or Fresno State? It's Fresno State, right? Fresno State connection. Carr to his man, who Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, misses so much, Devontae Adams, for the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Big to Jacobs. Carr. Loads up. Adams is open. Walk-off touchdown. A sweep of the Broncos for Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. The walk-off touchdown in overtime. Gets it done. Will Nathaniel Hackett make it to the end of the season? I don't know. We're going to have to wonder about that in this game. He's kind of, he was, he's throwing a little shade at Russ here about like, hey, you know, on that last drive, maybe it takes some more time off rather than give the Raiders a chance to get back into it and tie it and go to overtime. Um, but what was interesting in this one, the Raiders defense, which hadn't been very good, uh, the number of the game I put 22, and that's the difference in quick pressure rates between the Raiders and the Broncos. The Broncos are supposed to have the good pass rush. The Raiders are supposed to have the meh pass rush. I mean, I know... They have Max Crosby who's doing pretty well, but they had 22% higher quick pressure rate than the Broncos in this one. So the defense didn't quite come to play, even though they did well enough, I would say, defensively for the Broncos. A couple of blown coverages, though, killed them in the end against Devontae Adams. Denver was a two and a half point favorite on the road in this one, but it ends up being the, it was 16-16 going into overtime, 22-16 win. Denver, congratulations, Broncos. I had you as 23-20 for the adjusted score because the the Vegas plays were largely based on some big plays here. The Broncos had a 47% success rate versus 42% success rate offensively for the Raiders. And, you know, Russ had one of his best games of the year. Completion percentage over expectation, 17% over expectation, 0.17 EPA per play, which isn't, like, fantastic. But for Russ this season, he'll take it. Um, 247 yards, eight yards per attempt. It's a good game for him, but they just can't convert third downs is ends up being their problem a lot of the time and running the ball, you know, Latavius Murray, 2.9 yards per carry, Melvin Gordon, 3.9 yards per carry, including a, a, a crippling fumble, um, where they would have been really close to scoring a touchdown, but then they had to end up kicking a field goal on that one because it moved him back there. Uh, what else offensively? So I mentioned Devontae Adams with the two touchdowns, 141 yards. And this one, that was big. Josh Jacobs continues to roll along 109 yards and 24 carries. No one else got a single carry. Josh Jacobs with a dominant role, absolutely dominant role. They're also 51 yards receiving. Wow. Josh Jacobs winning fantasy leagues across the board here. Uh, so neither one of these guys have anything to talk about as far as the playoffs are concerned. And going back to, you know, the race for the draft here, which is all we can really talk about. Both teams, three and seven, but the Raiders have swept the Broncos. So the Broncos in the pole position over the Raiders for potentially getting a better pick this year. We'll see what Hackett, what goes on with Hackett going forward. Uh, I think he's almost assuredly going to be gone next season, uh, but he'll probably make it through to the end of the year. 
All right, let's close it out here with the commanders. Maybe I should give more respect to the commanders here because there's someone in the playoff mix here handling business. And it was over in Houston. And it was over pretty early with a very early pick six. And in that direction, it's intercepted. He was throwing for Cooks, but Kendall Fuller has a takeaway. And that's a commander's touchdown. Kendall Fuller with the pick six. Texans offense, not good. Not good at all. In fact, not quite as bad as the, the as the point as the 0.1 percentile success rate for the Jets, but 0.4 for the Texans here. Their success rate percentile on offense. Um, Washington was a three-point favorite in this one. They win 23-10. The adjusted score 24-13. So a little bit better. I'm actually kind of shocked it's even up to 13 there for the Texans, being that they were so, so bad across the board in everything that they were doing in this game. And if you're going to look for anything, you know, any hope for the Texans in this game, you might say, well, you know, at least we have Damian Pierce. He's like a, I don't know if he's an actual rookie of the year candidate here because of how poor the team has been playing here. But in this game, eight yards on 10 carries for Damian Pierce. They got nothing going on on the ground. 21 yards on 16 carries in total. David Mills, had 10 of those 21 yards. So if you look at just the just da- Damian Pierce got the only running back carries, 10 carries, 8 yards. Uh nothing else to talk about. Let's not talk about the Mills Mafia. David Mills is toast. He's dead. They're locking in that number one pick. They're looking really, really strong for that right now. Let's see. Let's look at their schedule actually, real fast. Texans. Who could they beat here? At Dolphins. At home versus the Browns. At Cowboys. At home versus the Chiefs. At Tennessee, at home versus the Jags, at Colts. Okay, they could win two of those games, but that will still only bring them up to three wins. They could maybe go two and four. It's like their, I think, a best-case scenario for them almost. I guess anything's possible, but two and four. So even if they win those two games, all these other teams who have three victories are going to have to lose out to be tied with them. Um, oh, but they do have the tie. Ooh, I didn't think about that. The Texans do have the tie, so that complicates things a little bit there. But most likely, they're going to win maybe one game the rest of the season, lock in that number one pick. But let's get to the Commandos. Let's give the Commandos our respect here. They got their victory. They handled business. Um, Taylor Heineke didn't have to do that much. 191 yards passing on only 27 attempts. They were able to run the ball really, really well. Brian Robinson, not a high yards per carry because they didn't need to, but 57 yards for him on 15 carries, 72 yards for Antonio Gibson on 18 carries. Logan Thomas led the receivers. Terry McLaurin, only four catches for 55 yards, so not a lot going on there, but hey, they'll take it. Uh, One loss fumble, too, by Heineke, which ended up keeping a little bit closer. Let's look to the playoffs. 52% chance to make the playoffs for your Washington Commanders here, up 11% winning this game they basically have no chance to win the division but if you look at the other teams in the nfc right now that they're competing with for this last for one of these last playoff spots it's really the giants at 59 percent playoff probability they're at 52 um falcons all the way down at 19 so in a little bit position better position than them seattle at 64 and san francisco at 77 so it's all those teams are mixing together to try to figure out who's going to have 
the one division there, because still the NFC West is not really decided, the one division there, and then the rest of the playoff spots. Should be interesting. Well, Tampa Bay, 81%. They're not that high. They're not like locked in also. So I guess they could be a wild card contender if by some miracle, you know, the Falcons are able to to go through and win that division. Uh, But it looks like Heineke is definitely going to be locked in for the rest of the season. We'll see what they're going to do with Wentz going forward and in the draft and all that stuff. But yeah, that's definitely locked in for sure. All right, everybody, let's get out of here. Week 11, Sunday is over. Cards, uh, San Francisco tonight. That should be an interesting game. Kyler Murray supposedly out for sure. We're going to have Colt McCoy in. Man, if they win this game, we're going to have a quarterback controversy in Arizona, potentially. I'm not joking. Some people will talk about that. He gets the ball out on time. Colt McCoy, he gets the ball out on time. But enjoy that one. I'll be back at you tomorrow. I I had an interview lined up, which I think is kind of falling through. So probably just going to do our my normal... um, recap of the game and talk about any storylines that come out during the day today. If you're still listening at this point, you probably enjoy the content here. So go ahead and rate and review the pod on Apple podcasts. I appreciate that. Hit click the thumbs up on the YouTube video. Otherwise I'll be talking to everyone tomorrow. Thanks so much and take care. Mm-hmm.